Hello and welcome to Encounter, the show that brings you the life-changing encounters of ordinary people that launch them into lives of extraordinary mission. Encounter is a co-production of St. Gabriel Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. My name is Dan Dimite and I'm joined here in studio with my good friend and brother in Christ, Patrick Rice. Hey brother! How are you doing, Patrick? Super pumped. <laughs> we are so yeah. super pumped for today's show. We've got a good friend of ours coming on. Her name is Kitty Cleveland. She's a musician and speaker for the Lord. She's going to share a powerful story, but we want to open in prayer. Uh, so let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Holy Spirit, we welcome you right now uh, onto these airwaves. We just want your presence and your power to be spoken forth uh, from the tongue and, and into the hearts, Lord, that, that your listeners would hear the Word of God and that you would penetrate them uh, with just the sword that, that cuts them to the heart. Father, we want your love to be manifested on this show today, that, uh, that uh, we would all experience a deeper outpouring of your love for us as your sons and daughters. And Father, we pray for the gift of reverence, where there be such a love for what you think, for what your thoughts are, that there be a, an experience of that God in the show, that we, would be, that we would be free. We thank you for setting us free from the opinions of others as we hear the amazing story of Kitty and uh, the freedom that she has to walk under the, the gaze of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Oh, man, Patrick, um, you know, yeah, it, it's just it's just amazing to think that uh, I'm good enough. Are you? <laughs> yeah, isn't that like I think in in our world so often we we are we're so afraid that we're not good enough, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we we get into this uh, paradigm where we are always worried about other people's opinion of us, mm-hmm. and, and we allow that to become a major. Um, uh, a source that that cripples us from accomplishing what the Father wants to accomplish in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's totally true. I agree. So, so I want to start our show with the scripture verse. It comes from first, uh, I mean, Second Corinthians chapter twelve. Saint Paul he says, "My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. I will rather boast most gladly of my weakness, in order that the power of Christ may dwell with me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults." hardships, persecutions, and constraints for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen to that. Amen. So, Patrick, what do you think Paul's talking about when he's talking about, like, insults, weaknesses, hardships, persecutions? Like, what comes to mind? I don't know. I, I think what he's, he's talking about is that, you know, he's, he's been totally free. He, he's free from the, from the opinion of other people, like the insults. Uh, the persecutions, right? He's free from external circumstances he can't control, shipwrecks. He's he's only he's he's doing God's will. He's following the Lord. He's going on, on these missions, and the outcome is in God's hands. And so, when God when God accomplishes something in us through our weaknesses, then He gets all the glory. Let me give you an example. Paul was an apostle. He was called as a, an apostle to the Jews or the Gentiles, Dan. He was called to the Gentiles. That's right. But he was raised as a rabbi, right? So he had, he actually had all the religious knowledge that would be that would have been perfect for going and uh, converting the Jews. Yeah. But God didn't call him to do that. He had he, the guy that spent all of his life with Gamaliel and amazing religious leaders in the Jewish culture was called not to those people, but to the Gentiles that he knew nothing about. Why? I don't know. I think it's maybe because people would see that if. You know the Gentiles could come to Jesus through Paul. That it it wasn't Paul actually working. It wasn't his natural gifting 
or his natural knowledge. It had to be something supernatural. That's what I think is going on. Like when God uses our weaknesses or a lack, um, he gets he gets the credit. Yeah, and you know, I think sometimes this this idea of worrying about the opinions of others, it can go both ways, right? It can go into the way where it cripples me because I'm afraid that people are going to think little about me and like, oh, they're, they're, they're not going to think I'm good enough. But then it can also go into uh, a spirit of pride, right, where we, we're, we want to prove ourselves to others. And so we do great things for man's affirmation, right? Mm-hmm. And, and ultimately, uh, what the Father wants for us is to be able to say, no, I'm... I'm good enough. Like that, the, the Father's love itself fills me enough that I'm no longer concerned about what other people's estimation of me is. Yeah, but we can't. We can never assume that. Oh, yeah, the Father just fills me. We have to come to Him. We mm-hmm. have to come home from the the you know the uh, the the pig shack, right? Or we need to come out of the field from labor. We need to come into the Father's house. And I I, I think that like it's one thing to talk about these concepts of our identity as a son or a daughter but it's found in an experience and you and i we can't we we, we can't we, we could speak all day and make these great points and we could still have people listening on the other end you know that have never experienced the love of the father and they'd still be an orphan because understanding ultimately is an encounter like the name of the show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually i think i think you've proven it you say an incredible point patrick it's um, we've all heard from the moment we were kids that I'm a son of God. I'm mm-hmm. a daughter of God. I have a father in heaven who loves me. And we, we can know these realities, but the question is, do we know these realities? Have we experienced these realities? And has the father's love washed over us? And, um, it's, it's absolutely critical that, um, we place ourselves in a position with the father where we, we start asking him to reveal his heart to us, that we would understand the Father's heart and His love for us, and that we would um, not hear the voice uh, of others, not hear the voice of maybe our earthly father who spoke lies to us, but that we would start hearing His voice clearly, and we would start experiencing in a new way His our own sonship. So, Dan, how do you do that for our listeners that are like, "I want that"? How do you do it? What What, what would you What would you give our listeners? Um, how do How do you start how do you br- how do you, Father's love? How do you bring yourself to receive the Father's yeah. love? You know, I think it's, you, you have two minutes. Uh, yeah, I think it's very simple. I think we don't want to overcomplicate it. We want to go into the beauty of silence, and we want to start asking the Father to speak to us and to listen to the voice that we hear when we ask the Father questions. So, um, a very simple question that when you pray, ask ask the Father. Say, Father, what do you think of me? Father, what's your opinion of me? And all the voice, all the lies of the world disappear, and we can hear the quiet whisper of the Father say, I love you. You are my beloved son. Or like, and we've done this uh, activation with a lot of people in the past, and uh, it's amazing what people hear when they, when it's not about just, it's about listening to the Father's voice. Father, what's your opinion of me? And allow that love to wash over. Or Father, do you love me? And allow that love to wash over you and just to receive it. I love to ask the Father, Father, what gifts do you want to give to me? So good. Dan, so, you you won the challenge. That, <laughs> is, that, 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 that is an that's awesome a good way, word. Like, that's a good no, word. I, no, you, you, should, you should play this episode back. And if you're like, how do, you, how do I do that? Just do it. You know, we have like two minutes. Yeah. Let's, let's go for it let's right now. It. So just we're going to pray. Um, with, with the words of, of St. Paul from Romans 8, he says, you don't receive a spirit of fear to f- fall back into slavery, 
but you received the spirit of sonship from which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. So when we hear the Father's voice, there's a witness in our spirit of who we are. We can encounter his love. So let's just go for it. You guys okay to be silent on the radio? Oh, we, yeah, I love doing this. Let's do it. Go for it, Dan. So, Father, we come in your presence and we know that as your children, you speak to us. And so we're just going to ask you, Father, what do you think of me? Father, what do you think of me right now? And now just let's ask the Father, Father, do you love me? Father, do you love me? And we're going to ask, Father, what do you want for me right now? Father, what do you want for me right now? And as fa- uh, Father, as Patrick prayed earlier, we just want this this reverence as we come before you and approach you, for we know that <laughs> you are the God of the universe, the creator of the stars and the moon and the sun and the heavens, and, and it's your desire to speak to us, your children. So we just thank you for pouring your love out on us. Amen. Amen. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, you're going to hear the life-changing testimony of our friend Kitty Cleveland. We'll be right back. It's time for your favorite EWTN program, but there's no radio? No problem. Download the EWTN app at EWTN.com slash mobile and enjoy on-demand live streams of your favorite EWTN radio and TV shows right now. When you deal with God, get out of the way. The incomparable Mother Angelica. She broke the mold of Catholic teaching with her one-of-a-kind perspective. From her spunky spiritual growth talks to her eye-opening scripture study. A nun like none other. I intend to scare hell out of you. She was the one, the only, the non-forgettable Mother Angelica. Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio and Television. Father John Ricardo. When you and I wake up every day, do we strive to know Jesus or not? Quick question to you and me right now. Is that what you and I are doing every single day? The leading Catholic voices are on EWTN Radio. Welcome back to Encounter, the show that brings you the life-changing encounters of ordinary people that launch them into lives of extraordinary mission. Patrick, we are here uh, with our friend, Kitty Cleveland. Yeah, Let's give her a Kitty, big round of applause. Welcome. Go so, Cavs! <laughs> so, Kitty, uh, you're a musician and a speaker. You're from New Orleans. Uh, that's just so amazing that you're bringing the gospel to so many people. Can you just share with our listeners kind of... Uh, what your testimony has been like growing up and, and how God has brought you to a place of active ministry in the church. I would be delighted to do that. Um, you know, as I was praying this morning about what the Lord would have me share with you, He gave me three points, three movements of grace in my life that were really powerful that got me out of myself, right, and over my own fears, my own insecurities, my own issues, so that I could get out of the way and so that he could minister through my life and through the anointing and the calling on my life by virtue of my baptism. And so these three movements of grace, the first one was in high school, and it was 1983. It was the summer before my senior year in high school, and it was an extraordinary jubilee year in the church. Oh, wow. 
Um, and actually, what's really cool is that I realized that all three of these big movements, this like fire hose of grace that happened in my life, all happened in Jubilee years in the church. Wow. Which is pretty neat. And so, 1983, I'm in Rome with, on a school trip, uh, summer before my senior year in high school, and I walked through the holy doors that were open at St. Peter's Basilica for the Extraordinary Jubilee Year. And everyone was telling me, oh, this is really special and plenary indulgence, but I didn't understand what any of that meant. But when I got home, two weeks later, I was on a retreat and ended up being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And for your listeners who may not be super familiar with what that means, essentially the grace that was given to me in my baptism was stirred up again by the Holy Spirit like the chocolate syrup in a glass of milk that had settled to the bottom. Well, the Lord stirred it back up again. And in my prayer, I just asked God, really, I guess it was my first real adult prayer. And I said, if you really exist, I want to know. And in that inner surrender, if you will, I, it, was, it was like the curtain, <laughs> the veil in my soul was torn open and the glory of the Lord was just released in the very core of my being it, with a joy. This, it's like I was infused with this supernatural joy, wept from joy all night long as the Lord just poured out his love for me. Wow. Totally undeserved, but just he loved me and there was nothing I could do about it. And um, I started speaking in tongues, in Latin, actually, which I later translated, and it was all about singing and giving glory to God through my voice. So that was the first movement of grace. And up to that point, I had been singing in school, and I wanted to go on to Broadway. That was my dream. And with this, all I wanted was to share what I had discovered, you know, that what my parents and my religion teachers had been telling me it was not just some sort of manipulation to get me to behave, you know? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that it was actually the truth, and that God, God exists so that you do what I tell you to do. Me, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Kitty, that's really cool about, like, the, the, the tongues that you're getting in Latin were about singing. Because in the early church, they actually referred to, like, the gift of tongues as, like, a, the jubilation. Like, like uh, tongues was, like, this kind of manifestation of the joy and jubilation just being expressed from mm. from your spirit. That's awesome. So, Kitty, wow. that doesn't sound like a normal, like, uh, experience for a high schooler. So what was the context of that? Like, were, were you scared? Were you overwhelmed? Were you confused? Or was that, norm- like, was that normalized before you were prayed over for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? No, not normalized at all. Okay. <laughs> I, um, I was on a retreat. I was part of the retreat team that helped put on retreats at my, at my high school. And so, you know, I had a hunger for the Lord, right? But I didn't really know Him. And that experience, it was just, I was on this retreat, and at the very end of the retreat, it was not a charismatic retreat. At the end, some of the girls, three girls, mentioned that they had gone to a church in Metairie where the Mansfields are. Patty Mansfield is one of the, the people who was on the Duquesne weekend all those years ago, and the charismatic renewal sort of burst out in the Catholic Church. And they had been, said they'd been baptized in the Spirit and received the gift of tongues. And so I said, well, you know, that sounds really cool. I want, I want you to teach me how to do that, is how I thought of it, right? Not as a gift to be received, but as something to learn how to do, and, um, which is not what it is. But yeah. it's a yielding, right? And so 
when everybody else went out to get pizza and I asked them to stay back with me and pray with me to receive, to pray in tongues. And so about five of us stayed back and they said, well, we're just going to pray the Our Father and we'll hold hands and, you know, if you feel the words change, just let them change. And so I was like, okay, simple enough. And honestly, I got a terrible case of the giggles um, while this was happening because some of them started speaking in tongues and I freaked out and just got very nervous and started laughing. And they're like, okay, kitty, we'll try again. And so, you failed. Um, the second time was when I finally calmed my spirit down a little bit. And I was like, well, wow, if this is real, Lord, and, and if you exist, I really want to know. And I didn't say that out loud. It was just in my spirit. But when I did, whoo, did he answer that prayer. Yeah. yeah, I think that's awesome. It shows a lot of hunger uh, inside of your heart that, like, I want, I want to know you, Lord, and then just an openness, uh, like, as you, as you said, calm your spirit to be able to yield. Right, that Father, whatever you want to give me, whatever gifts you want to pour out, I'll receive them, and uh, to yield to the Holy Spirit. So, Kitty, how was your life? Like, this is kind of an interesting um, experience for a young lady. So, how was your life different? You mentioned you experienced uh, joy and, and life and love afterwards. What, how, how did your life change after that? Well, I devoured Scripture, and it came alive for me. You know, so many people have, have reported the same thing, where they're, they start reading the Bible, and it's like, bam, something just flies off the page as relevant to you, and, and the Lord's speaking to you a very personal word for where you are in your life. So I couldn't get enough of scripture. I was praying hours a day. Like, but you know, here was the difficulty: is that there wasn't any kind of prayer group that could help me nurture this gift, and no one quite knew what to do with me. My parents had not had yet to be baptized in the Spirit. That was coming, but um, they went on a cursio and both had profound life-changing experience on that. But I didn't have any support in it. And honestly, at that point in my life, you know, I was 16, I wanted everybody to like me. I didn't want to feel like the loner Jesus freak that no one understood. And they, when I tried to, to share with my friends and my peer group what had happened to me, um, I got a lot of ridicule, which was very painful. And so I just kind of stopped praying in tongues, I stopped praying pretty much at all other than going to Mass on Sundays with my family because it was painful. The loneliness was painful, and I didn't have the discipline yet in my prayer life to really let the Lord console me in that, you know? Mm, mm, definitely. So that was, for, so I went to, um, I was kind of a partier and, you know, I had my first keg party when I was 14, and things are a little different in New Orleans. So I got very much into that partying lifestyle and the college. I went to Tulane and on campus and was social chairman of my sorority and just wanting to fit in, and I numbed out a lot with alcohol and just, um, yeah, kind of I tried to bury it. But, you know, the Lord won't be buried. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, once, you know, he, the hound of heaven, he won't leave you alone. Yeah. He wants all of us. And so I would go on these retreats. I would be still enough and sober enough to hear what he was saying to me and wooing me back to himself. And then I would have these you know, profound times of intimacy with him. But again, I didn't have a community. There was nothing going on my campus for 
for the Catholic students. And um, it was very much living in two worlds, probably for me more living in the secular world with one foot in what I knew to be true. But I was so, um, so concerned about what other people thought of me and really like, almost like a false idol of worshiping other people's opinions. So I was always trying to adapt myself to whatever I thought, you know, doing my mind reading, they, other people that I admired and respected would think about me and then try to conform myself to that. And, yeah. of course, we can't be conformed to the world, <laughs> but I just didn't have the maturity or the, the consistency in my prayer life with the Lord that. Yeah, definitely. That's such a battle that so many people face, and I think we can really take that wound into adulthood as well, and it's all about coming to understand the Father's love for our life, right? That the Father loves me because I'm his daughter or I'm his son, not because of anything I do. And when we receive that love in our life, we don't need to prove ourselves to anyone, right? And right. So what was the second movement of grace? Well, I went on, um, again, I told you my dream was to sing for the Lord after that conversion in high school, but I didn't know how to make it happen. So I ended up, you know, as the oldest of six daughters, my father was a lawyer, his father was a lawyer. His dream was for all six of his daughters to practice law with him, (laughs) and he would call the firm Carl's Angels, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So bad. So bad. (laughs) And so... um, Anyway, I was the only one who took the bait. I was such a daddy's girl, wanted to please him, didn't have the confidence to do music ministry and pursue that route. So I ended up in law school um, and then practicing law with my dad. And after about three years of doing that, I mean, I don't think like a lawyer, you know, and I kept thinking, can't we all just get along? This is really ridiculous, all of this fighting and litigation, and let's just find a happy compromise. So... um, I went on retreat again. I knew the Lord was calling me to work that was healing, that was life-giving. And as a woman especially, you know, we're called to be nurturers and life-givers, and that was not happening for me in law. And I'd, I had married at this point and um, had two stepchildren, and we had not been able to conceive. So that was really difficult, and I was just trying to find my way. But I knew I was called to this sort of spiritual motherhood, to be a nurturer and a life-giver. Well, the... I, for me specifically, the Lord was telling me to write this music, all these songs that I had half-written since high school, and to get a master's in counseling. And the day that I left to get my master's, a swarm of FBI agents showed up at our law firm. <coughs> Excuse me. And long story short, a client of ours in the law firm was accused of bribing, bribing state politicians to vote for legislation favorable to his business. And we'd helped him to get licensed. And so we were kind of caught up in this big dragnet. And my dad ended up being sent to prison for 10 years for something he didn't do. Wow. Yeah. My deacon father, right? And so he had to resign as a deacon so as not to cause scandal. And um, it was so scary and painful. And I still had two sisters at home. The youngest was only seven. Um, there's a 23-year spread between me and the baby, and uh, typical Catholic family, right? <laughs> so when, um, let me back up a sec. When they were reading the guilty verdicts against my dad, I had been reading St. Faustina's diary during that time, which I found really consoling. And 
when they were reading the guilty verdicts and I was sobbing in the courtroom because we were so blindsided. It was just ridiculous that he was convicted. Like, no one saw that coming. And there were six defendants tried together. It was just a big zoo with all these state senators and all that on the news every night. And when I was sobbing, rather than seeing darkness, with my, my face buried in my hands, I saw the divine mercy image literally like someone was holding it in front of my face. And so I just saw it so clearly, and I just kept praying, Jesus, I trust in you. So what I learned from that moment was that when these crazy crises happen in our lives, and they will happen to all of us, because it really is through the cross where we find profound intimacy with the Lord, um, and so he allows these things to come, Maybe not this dramatic, but we will all have those moments of despair, you know, darkness, doubt. And what I learned is that if I get really small and recognize my littleness and just reach up and grab onto the hand of the Lord with everything I have and just say, you know, Jesus, I don't see how this is going to work out or how we're going to make it through this, but I know that you can see and that your plans for me are all good, and so I'm going to trust in you. And it was another sort of surrender and abandonment in that moment. really got me, got all of us through a really, really dark time. And so after a year and a half, we were waiting for the appeal to come. Um, and my mom said to me, she said, you know, if we lose the appeal, I'm not going to make it. I can't keep living like this. You know, it was very, very difficult and stressful for our whole family and, of course, for my dad. And um, I got a a real light of grace in that moment. I said, Mom, we don't have the grace for that yet. And I feel like that's an important part of what I do in this ministry is encourage people and remind them not to do all of this projecting into the future of all of the horrible things and difficult things that might or might not come to pass mm-hmm. and imagining ourselves trying to handle that before we have the grace for it because we don't. And that's why people despair. That's why they get paralyzed with anxiety, with fear, because the Lord says, I am the Lord of the moment. Mm-hmm. I'm with you right now, giving you the grace for the moment, the grace for the day. And he wants us little and dependent upon him for everything. And so we can have peace in that. You know, in Matthew 6, he says, look at the way, you know, the Father cares for the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. How much more will he care for you? So that was a real lesson, right, in that moment. Mm-hmm. And then we did lose the appeal, and we had the grace for the day. It was, it was heartbreaking, um, but we didn't crush. You know, it wasn't a total despair. And my dad at that point, found his greatest peace, ironically, because he knew he had another seven or eight years in prison, and he just said, you know, Lord, please just give me peace. And when he let go of what he thought his life was supposed to look like and accepted life on its own terms, he said it was like a grace bubble descended from heaven and enveloped him in peace, even though he was living in the midst of hell. And it was like the violence, the profanity, the filth, the noise. It just didn't touch him anymore. He lived alone with Jesus in hell. And started seeing the beauty around him in prison. 
and writing about it. And we wrote these beautiful letters every month, like St. Paul from prison. And, you know, his, his ministry as a deacon was so much more powerful wow. than prison. And so um, we pretty much all settled in. And then I ended, my dad, I wrote a song for my dad at that point called Surrender that included all of the lessons, spiritual lessons I had learned from him, um, some beautiful scripture passage that, passages that had been given to him prophetically, especially 2 Corinthians 12, verses, verse 9, where um, St. Paul has been begging God to remove the thorn in the flesh, and he said, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. You know, my dad was learning how to be small. He'd been everybody's hero in the courtroom, and now he needed to learn how to be a child, a spiritual child. And then he found peace. So I ended up releasing my first CD after that, um, thanks to the generosity of, of my dad's friends, you know, who got his letter. He put the lyrics in one of his newsletters. And that finally sent my life into ministry. And it came through this cross, through this crucible, where, and it was really my love for my dad that propelled it. I wasn't concerned about myself anymore, about people thinking that I was holier than thou, or um, a Jesus freak, or whatever. My fear was. I just, my love for my dad, you know, impelled me to do this. And so what I found was that it was so fruitful that when we get out of the way, when the Lord purifies us through the sufferings in our life, then we can really glorify Him. You know, it wasn't, it was through our pain that I, you know, it's such a paradox, right? Like I kept trying to look a certain way or be a certain way, and, and I was so concerned about what other people thought of me that I'd been paralyzed. And now everyone thought my dad was a crook and we were anathema to them, so it didn't matter anymore. Right? Yeah. So that, um, after we lost the appeal, released my first CD, and then we were coming up on the great jubilee year of 2000. And we got word that the United States Supreme Court wanted to hear my dad's case, which statistically was impossible. They take like one in 60,000 cases for a hearing. And hope returned. You know, we couldn't believe it. Um, and then we found, we, my dad's lawyer is going to ask the trial judge to let him come home while we waited for the hearing. But she had decided every single issue against us during the trial. We weren't holding our breath. But then I learned, after many delays, the, the hearing ended up being scheduled on Easter Thursday. Wow. wow. In the great jubilee cool. year, three days before Faustina was going to be canonized a saint, you know, and, and the Divine Mercy had been so special to me and really got me through the trial and the convictions. And um, at 3 o'clock on Easter Thursday, she ordered my father released from prison seven years early. Wow, praise, praise the, Lord. the Lord. Yeah. And so that was our big second movement of grace. And then, you know, it still makes me cry all these years later. And then just so grateful to God. And so he was with me on Divine Mercy Sunday. Like We were all just in shock, like men dreaming, you know. And then six months later, the U.S. Supreme Court unanimously reversed my father's convictions in the Great Jubilee Year. Wow. Does that happen often? How often does like a unanimous reversal happen? Very rarely. Very rarely. Yeah. Wow, so... So, 
Yeah. Kitty, what what was released in your life? I just wonder like after you let like got that first out like CD out and you you stepped out and you 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 over you were stepping against or coming against the fear of what others think about you and instead you just started to give yourself. Um what was released in your life during that time? Was it easy? Joy. Was it hard? Joy, okay. Joy, great joy. It gave meaning to the suffering that we'd all been through. Um, I ended up just by divine providence being invited to uh, to speak on Life on the Rock with when Jeff Cabins was hosting it on EWTN, and um, it was three weeks after my dad was released from prison. So, just the time you know, I'd been invited months earlier, and it just all worked out. And so, my dad was with me on the air. And Jeff wanted me to speak about career planning, <laughs> ironically, um, because I had gotten a master's in counseling and had been teaching college. Uh, career planning to college students, basically saying, let me tell you what not to do. <laughs> Don't go to law school. <laughs> Follow your dreams. But um, anyway, so I asked Jeff if I could sing a song while I was talking about the career planning. And he's like, yeah, sure. So that day, providentially, after a year of working on my CD, the first batch of CDs arrived, the same day I was on the air. And, um, and I sang Surrender, the song I, sang, I wrote for my dad live on the air for the first time for my dad. He'd never heard it. So that really projected my life into a new way, you know, because it gave sort of instant exposure for this ministry, the music ministry. And what I discovered is that, it rele- yes, it released joy, it released freedom, uh, and so much gratitude to God for how he had restored what the locusts had eaten. You know, he had... Um, taken our brokenness and, and glorified those wounds and used them as a source of grace for other people. And so many people started writing to me of what they were suffering and how the music was helping them to heal emotionally, helping them to receive a, a consolation and an encouragement from the Lord. So my life took on a new um, purpose and it was yeah, it was purposeful living now. And the music, you know, I'd been, I'd done Broadway and all of that, and the applause was so fun, but then it faded, and, you know, next, what's the next thrill? And this was just an abiding peace, joy, and gratitude for what the Lord had done. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's so important, listeners, that sometimes we, we, we're just so afraid to step into what God's asking us to do, um, and... Uh, I think that the breakthrough happens once we finally surrender, if you will, and step into what God's asking. And, and that that it may seem like, oh, I'll never be able to do this. I'll never be able to do this. But once we step, the breakthrough comes, and and that that peace, that joy, that uh, comes. If it follows the yes. You know, I had a, a card on my a photograph on my refrigerator for years when I was in law school that had um, it was a, of a diver diving off a high dive. And all you see is him flying through the air. You don't see where he's going to land. And on the inside it said, leap, and the net will appear. And I think that's what the Lord asks of us. Yep. It's literally to take a leap of faith as we step out, like the, the servants at the wedding in Cana. The miracle happened through their obedience, even though it didn't make any sense. Right? Yeah. So while good. they were bringing the water, that it was transformed into wine. I mean, that's so what... Kitty, what was the third movement of grace that the Lord started to uh, activate in your life? Well, it happened in this last great jubilee year, the extraordinary, sorry, not great, but the extraordinary jubilee year in 2016. And 
you know, I've been doing ministry now for 18 years, um, 10 CDs, etc. And there was still a part of my soul that had been kept out of the light of grace, and I didn't realize it. And, uh, and, and the Lord set me free in 2016. And um, he's been asking me to be a little more vulnerable with all this stuff because it's more personal. But when I was 10, um, I was chubby, like probably 15 pounds, 20 pounds overweight, which is often normal for girls as they're about to go through all these, through puberty. But in my family, um, everyone always seemed to be on a diet. And my grandparents, my parents, everyone you know, very concerned about all of that. And my dad took me to my first Weight Watchers meeting when I was 10, which really messed up my head. And I just, with my temperament and being such a daddy's girl and wanting to please him, um, I didn't know there was anything wrong with me. And so I took that as my body is not acceptable as it is. And so that set up... 40 years of extreme yo-yo dieting, abusive dieting, like 400 calories a day for weeks dieting, Um, not motivated by fasting and spiritual purity, but motivated by vanity and and trying to get the blessing, right, Mm -hmm. from my dad, from other people. So I um, had just finished, like, my fourth boot camp, I'd had back surgery. Like, my body just couldn't take it anymore. Um, and this is in 2016, and I, I just told the Lord. I went to adoration. I was starting to gain, gain the weight back, as I always did. <clears throat> and I said, Jesus, please. I mean, I begged him with tears. Please take this cross from me. I can't do this anymore. And he gave me a vision, and I saw a Sisyphus pushing the boulder up the hill. You know, Sisyphus of the Greek myth. Uh, I don't know if he was a god, but he was, his destiny was to push this boulder up a hill only to have it roll back down again. And that <laughs> yeah. was his eternity. That was, it was just essentially futility, an eternity of futility. Mm-hmm. And so I saw myself pushing this boulder, and then you know, it was like rolling over me as I gained the weight back. And Jesus was standing at the bottom of the hill and holding his hand out. And he said, are you ready to stop? And I said, Lord, you know, if I stop, I'll be really fat, which to me was terrifying. It was like this part, like, and especially when you have to be on television or on stage, I was always thinking about what people were thinking about my body. It just was this loop, like a hamster wheel that had been set up early, early in my life. And there had been bullying and trauma through all of that, too. And, I, and again, you know, words of affirmation were my love language. So there was just a lot wrapped up in it. And... I, um, he said, are you ready to stop? And I said, Lord, if, if I stop, I'll be really fat. And he said back to me, well, and when I say he said back to me, he uses my imagination, right? He speaks in my spirit. I don't hear a, a, an audible voice, but he said, well, while we work it out together, will you just be fat for me? And I instantly thought, No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't. I please anything but that. Like, <laughs> take a limb, but don't ask me to be fat. And um, so eventually, you know, he sort of worked on me. I'm like, okay, I'll trust. You know, this is one of those leap of faith, Lord, I'll trust you. But this was the biggest leap of faith I'd ever taken. 
was being willing to be judged by people as unlovable, which had happened in the past. You know, it, it, it was like, I'm really clinging to you, Jesus, 100%. And so that, and he said three other things. Um, no more weighing, no more dieting, and get some help. So I, um, I went to see this beautiful priest in New Orleans and a lay woman who started, uh, Carol Weiler, who started uh, an Ignatian prayer series for lay people called Lord Teach Me to Pray. And they do private counseling, spiritual direction with people. So I told them this whole story, and Carol said, um, do you have a lot of self-loathing? I was like, I don't think so. I mean, I love myself, and people love me, and no. I mean, I was like, I hate my body, but I don't hate myself. And they both <laughs> looked at me like, hmm, there seems to be a disconnect here. <laughs> and I didn't realize that my body is a gift from God and that it's holy and has come at tremendous expense and met many sacrifices by many people, my parents, my health care providers, people who fed me, the surgeons. Like, I just had cursed my body. And Father um, Marty said very sweetly, do you realize how offensive that is to God? And that hit me like a two-by-four. I was like, I know. I thought I had an obligation to hate my body unless it was perfect or skinny. And so a huge paradigm shift for me. And I left from that. I repented. I went to confession. I confessed all the ways that I had abused my body, that I had rejected the gift of my body, been ungrateful for the gift of my body. And when I got home, I very deliberately, consciously blessed my body. I put my hands on my arms and on my hips, all these things like, like, God bless you in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for my arms. I thank you for maybe the extra padding I have here. Should I fall, it will cushion me. (laughs) 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 I thank you, uh, should we have famine or drought, that I'm in good shape. Um, you know, and I and I had to laugh about it. <clears throat> but what he did was he set me free from that false idol of worshiping other people's opinions of me. After 40 years. Wow, praise the Lord. Me. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. So that was the third big move in the extraordinary jubilee year of 2016. Uh, Kitty, that's, I think, thank you for sharing that. That just takes so much courage, and I think it's so powerful um, because, as you described early in your testimony, how that... Uh, was an idol to worship other people's opinion of you. And I, I just feel like that's something that so many people struggle with, um, that, and, uh, and the father just wants to fill us with, um, being satisfied simply in his love. Can you share maybe, um, what is, what has the father been blessing you with since that moment? What, what's kind of been the, 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 the new grace that has come forth? Oh, gosh, he's so good, isn't he? I think what, for me, I didn't, what the Lord, when he set me free from that, this massive amount of energy that had been used to, um, and then this, to keep my soul out of the light of grace, I didn't know that I was doing that. But all that energy that I spent on diets and boot camps and, and obsessing about all of that for 40 years, all of that energy now can be focused on loving other people. 
And so I, yes. it just got me out of the way. And now I'm just not self-conscious anymore. And I just see the people in front of me. And it's like I feel the Lord's love. He broke my heart for his people. And so now it's just like he reveals to me these waves of, like, of his anguish for the lonely and for the addicted and for the rejected and um, all these people who are in bondage. He just breaks my heart for them. And so he's been releasing, like, words of knowledge and visions and the gift of healing. And, you know, and over the years, let me just say this. We don't have to be saints for him to use us, right? Like, I still had this part of my soul that, that I, this part of, I was holding on to that, out of shame. But he still used the music over these last 18 years for, for beautiful healing. God can still use us where we are even in our brokenness, even when we have blind spots. But he always wants to give and do more. So there were wonderful healings that happened through the music still. But now I, that I'm not self-conscious, I mean, I'm a little bit self-conscious. I'm not totally over myself. But now I just, I have the Father's heart. He has he's shared his love for me, his unconditional love for me, um, and I've really received that. And part of that has come through my spiritual director, who's this amazing priest who has the heart of the Father, and he loves me with that. And so I've experienced it through him also in just some supernatural ways, just where the Father has basically caught me up to heaven, and I am basically obliterated in his love. Um, there's just been profound healing through just ways that I didn't have any control over. But what I do now is that I try every morning, I begin with the truth of who I am. I'm like, Father, you love me. You like me. You know, I love Leif Hetland and, and all the stuff he has to say about the Father. But you love me. You like me. You, um, you have great plans in mind for me. And just receiving his love and, and coming into agreement with that. I am del- the Father delights in me, not because of anything that I have done, as he said, but just because he does, because he made me. And what joy there is when we can step into that and no longer live as orphans. Like even the prodigal, you know, the, they have the prodigal son and the son who stayed, they both lived as orphans. Mm. And, but the reality is that the whole kingdom of God lives in us and that we have inherited that through Jesus, through our adoption as sons and daughters, and that we don't have to strive for it. We don't have to strive for the blessing or you know, check, check off our checklist so that God will give us the stamp of approval. And we have the A-plus and we haven't taken the test. I love that line. <laughs> Amen. Um, Amen. Right? Well, Kitty, thank you so much. We're going to take a break. Uh, Kitty, if, if our listeners want to hear uh, or your music or learn more about you, where can they go? My website is just my name, Kitty, K-I-T-T-Y, Cleveland, like Cleveland, Ohio, dot com. KittyCleveland.com. Awesome. Thank you, Kitty, so much for sharing your story. We're going to be right back, and we're going to reflect on the power of the Holy Spirit moving in Kitty's life. Uh, You're listening to Encounter, a co-production of St. Gabriel Radio and EWTN Radio. We'll be right back. If you're currently an EWTN media missionary or just interested in becoming one, we've got some great news. EWTN Media Missionaries has a new and improved website. 
EWTNmissionary.com, designed with you in mind. Our new site is loaded with great features, and it's easy to navigate. There are so many different ways that you can help EWTN. Join us in sharing the eternal word with the world. Visit EWTNmissionaries.com today. Teresa Tamio. Every time I go to Mass and see my husband serving on the altar as a deacon, it hits me how, with God, all things are possible. I mean, there is no way that we should be still married, number one, based on all the problems we had. But number two, the fact that I'm in Catholic media and my husband is a deacon is simply a testimony to the power of God and the teachings of the Church that saved our marriage and, more importantly, our souls. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Welcome back to Encounter, the show that brings you the life-changing encounters of ordinary people that launch them into lives of extraordinary mission. Uh, Dan, that was awesome. I'm, I'm the the vulnerability, the humility that she shared is something that I want to model more. But you know, what stuck out to you, man? Yeah, you know, I just I love that when um, we asked Kitty what what was the fruit that came forth when you were able to surrender your worship for the love of other people's opinion. She shared that she's she just she said I'm just able to see people in front of me now and that the father had given her um, his heart for his people. And, you know, I think that's so it just that resonates with me because I think so often when we're worried about the opinions of others, what happens is all we do is we look inward, right? Because my mind and my eyes and my heart become consumed about what's this person think? Oh, how do these words come across? Oh, it was this enough? And like, all of a sudden, all of the attention is inward, me, 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 mm-hmm. me, me. And uh, the freedom the life in the Holy Spirit gives when we surrender our worship for other people's opinion is all of a sudden I'm no longer concerned. What do they think about me? What do they think? But instead now all of a sudden I'm like, Oh my goodness, do they know how good the father's love is? And I become consumed with the father's love in a way that I'm, I'm just like, Oh, I want you to know how loved you are. And it's just amazing, radical transformation. And I, I would go as far as to say, I think this is one of the fundamental transformations that a Christian must undergo, that it's this transformation that I no longer look inward, but now I'm focused solely on looking outward, right? John mm-hmm. Paul II, he, he, he says that like to be human is to be gift, that the man is meant to be a self-gift, and it's it, I can't be a gift if I'm concerned about what other people think about me. I'm, 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 I'm consumed with in, inward focus, but I'm such a gift when I'm outward focused. I think I, I know we have a lot of people in ministry that listen to our show. And I think maybe we should call into question the way we have uh, feedback after our events, after our retreats. Like, if we are serious about, if you're serious about what you just said, and we're really going to do that, then, um, you know, how do we actually seek, do, do, do we seek that feedback? Like, do we do it in the right spirit? And uh, like, let, let me put it this way. I've, in my own ministry, I've, I've been in ministry for 10 years now. I've I've gone from actively seeking feedback to find out if I succeeded or not based upon whether people liked it or not. But is other people's response a measure of, of effectiveness and fruitfulness? I mean, maybe it's a yes and no thing, but maybe we're just supposed to do what we see the Father doing. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think that's a great word, Patrick. I know for a long time after I would give a, a talk at a conference, I'd be like, so how was it? Did it? Like, was that what you were wanting to hear? And uh, when the father started to share with me this like word that 
like the opinions of the world just doesn't matter, that you need to come to me, hear the message I want to give my people that day. And and now instead of like preparing a talk and making sure I get all of the lines right, right, that I had that I had prepared now, my preparation is, Father, I want you to reveal your heart for the people that I'm preaching to today. And now my heart is broken or, or just falls in love with the audience more that at the end it's like, yeah, I don't have to ask anymore. Um, did it go okay? Yeah, what did you like, think? What did you think? It's like I gave what the father asked me to give. I think that's an awesome word, and we do that. I think in 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 a, in all of our worldly affairs as well, as well, right? Like, oh man, it did. Am I going to get this promotion? Uh, was was my work recognized? Was uh, was that word received okay? And there's a difference between like uh, that kind of worldly feedback and like counsel. And you have people that like we need to speak into our lives. And to help, that can help lead us to the heart of the Father. So it's one of those both and things, but I just know that there's a culture that I've been a part of in ministry where it, it's really not <laughs> rooted in doing what the Father is calling you to do, but in uh, just pleasing people around you. So I think I just pray for deliverance and freedom from anyone caught in that trap and that there's more that, that God wants to give you. Yeah. And if, uh, you know, I just, I also just want to pray that God would fill anyone with freedom that's struggling with this area of your life, that you would just experience a lot of power. I think God, um, what I, I, I like Kitty, she was sharing how, um, there is these movements of grace throughout her life that God's not done, that he wasn't done when she was in high school, when she received the first outpouring, God wasn't done after that second outpouring, when her father was released, um, from, from his, uh, unlawful imprisonment and and uh and god wasn't he, he's still not done with her right mm-hmm. and he's never done with us there is more always more yes. so we just want to pray we're gonna close in prayer today in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen. amen father i love you i just want you to just break forth freedom right now in our listeners lives anyone struggling with uh self-esteem um, and, and the consumed with the worry of what others believe in them. We just break that spirit over them right now. We just re- release your love for them, Lord, that they would be completely filled and satisfied with your opinion of them. Father, I pray that rivers of life-giving water would well up deep within them, that anyone that comes to Jesus and thirsts, rivers will flow within you. So, Lord, we pray that for all those who thirst right now, that your rivers would well up deep within them in Jesus' name. Amen. Listeners, we're just so thankful for listening to Encounter. This is a co-production of St. Gabriel Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. For another copy of this show or for more of our shows, go to EncounterRadio.org. That's EncounterRadio.org.